Welcome to episode 10 of Babe and Brilliant, the last episode in series one. I'm Scintilla Chingaipe. Today's guest is somewhat of a modern day girl crush. Jenna Wortham is many things, but she's primarily known for her work as a writer for the New York Times. There, she writes mainly about technology and culture. Prior to working for The Times, Jenna was a tech and culture writer for Wired.com and a freelance writer for Wired magazine. Her work has also appeared in Bust magazine, The Hairpin, Vogue, The Morning News, Fader and various other publications. She's also the queen of side hustles. From starting a zine celebrating women she admired, aptly titled Girl Crush, to helping curate an emoji art show, to co-hosting a radio show called Heartline, to a series about sexting in the age of technology. There's nothing Jenna isn't keen to explore in the digital realm. I was keen to find out more about what makes her tick, and I began by asking her just who is Jenna Wortham. Take a listen. Let's see, who is Jenna? Um, Well, right now I'm a a writer for the New York Times Magazine. Um... I'm a thinker, I'm a lover of technology, and, I don't know, analog girl in the digital world. (laughs) Silly. That's Erica Badu. But I I feel like, I don't know, it's hard to describe myself because I'm a mixture of so many different things and interests. And, you know, even today I was looking at taking a trip to, to, you know, I think very much the embodiment of just an average woman in 2015. Okay, so let's let's go back to your writing and how you got into that. I mean, how, how did all that happen? Um, well, I actually started out studying public health, and I thought I would want to be a doctor. And so I was on that path for a long time. And then I actually wound up studying abroad in London, and I was doing an internship in public health. And while I was there, I started meeting other writers. I met people who were pursuing creative professions, and I started to have a sense of kind of how how one starts to begin to pursue a life like that. And I think that was really informative and opened my eyes up for me too, because I didn't come from a background um, where people were doing that. You know, I went to school at UVA, which is a pretty formal Southern institution, and everyone there is kind of groomed to be a lawyer, um, a doctor, or working in business. And I wasn't exactly sure how to figure out where I fit in between all that and trying to nurture my desire and creativity to learn about what's new and how the world is changing with writing. So that was sort of you know, that kind of set me on the journey to figuring out kind of what I wanted to do. And then when I graduated, I decided to move to San Francisco because I wanted to live in California, and I felt like, why not now? Um, And I interned at a bunch of different publications, and I wound up at Wired. And so since Wired mirrors the way technology shapes culture and the way we live, it ended up being a perfect fit. And I, I knew automatically, you know, this is sort of what interests me the most. And this is what I want to pursue. Was it an easy transition? I mean, going from wanting to be a doctor to writing, fairly different world. It was not easy. I mean, there were a lot of sleepless nights that I make the right decision. You know, I was watching all of my friends from college move on to grad school and settle down uh, near where I grew up. And, and I felt very unsure of my decision to be untethered, but at the same time, I felt confident that I would figure it out, and I felt really satisfied that I was trying to figure my life out for myself instead of doing kind of what felt prescribed or, you know, what someone else wanted, so it felt very fulfilling to kind of be on my own path, and I I kind of gave myself a deadline, too, if I, you know, if I didn't figure it out by, I think maybe by the time I turned 25, I would try to reevaluate and do something else. Um, but actually, when I turned 25, and the Times hired me, so it kind of made it just before the cutoff. So 
it worked out. You were talking about how you weren't sure if you were making the right decision as you were going on this um, new journey of pursuing writing and creativity. At what point did that change? Like, at what point did you sort of go, hang on, I think I'm actually onto something that might be actually worthwhile and fulfilling? I mean, to be totally honest, that's that's an ongoing um, you know, that's a developing skill that is still, it's something that's still in progress. I feel like every day I kind of check in with myself. Where I'm, what am I doing? Am I working on things that feel important and impactful? How am I living my life? Does it look the way I want it to look? And is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Um, so I feel like there's a kind of a constant tweaking and fine-tuning that has to happen, uh, happen, uh, happen, uh, what I'm doing and what I'm working on. Um, and whether or not it still makes sense for, for where I'm at in my life and mentally and spiritually. And I think when I was younger, it was a lot harder to know. It just felt there were these encouraging signs that kind of kept propelling me forward. So I would, just as I was about to give up trying to freelance, you know, I would get a story assignment in a, in a women's magazine that I loved or just this, when I felt like, oh, gosh, maybe I should go to grad school for something else. You know, like I'd land an internship at Wired. You know, so I felt like there were these enough nudges and pushes that kept kind of keeping me going forward. And I also found the work really fulfilling. And I felt like that, you know, the when I was a doctor, I wanted to study public health and I wanted to do vaccine research because I wanted to make the world a much more, I mean, you know, I wanted to sort of have a career and have a life that was fulfilling in a way that was bigger than myself. And I realized as a writer and as a journalist, you can do that too because you can shed light on stories or people or ideas or ways of living that other people don't know about. And so... Sometimes I've done that through technology. Now I'm looking at it more from a cultural perspective. I'm really interested in showcasing stories of women and makers and especially black creatives who are doing interesting things in the world and, you know, kind of giving the sense of there are lots of different ways to be a person and here are some of the examples. So it feels kind of like a big transition, but my head is still in the same place in terms of what's drawing me to the field and what's making me interested in it, which is that I've always been interested in understanding just how people live their lives and what I can do to tell people about it or make it better in some roundabout way. What's drawing you to that now? You talked about black creatives and, you know, moving more to the culture side of of exploring your writing and journalism. What propelled you in that direction? It's just truer to who I am. And I think I got into tech because I was always interested in technology. And and when I studied abroad in London, I got a mobile phone and that was... um, gosh, would have been early 2000s. And for me, like, I had never had a device that, you know, everyone used and you would text and you would pay for your phone card and you would do subway transactions. I mean, I, to me, it was, I mean, I had never seen that before. And I was really amazed and I thought it was so cool. And that was the beginning where I was like, this is really incredible. Like, look how everyone's using these devices. Like, I've ne- I mean, I knew what a cell phone was, obviously, but I'd never... They weren't ubiquitous uh, back home the way they were in London. And I thought it was incredible. And I found it to be really fascinating to watch and to think about the broader implications. And then when I, got, you know, when I was interning at Wired, Twitter and Facebook were taking off. And so I was amazed at how it was transforming the lives of people around me. And so that was sort of the things that I got interested in right away. So that was very natural. And so now, I mean, I think I was, you know, I had the, I mean, there weren't that many people writing about social media and technology when I started out. And so I had the luxury of doing something that not a lot of people were paying attention to yet. And so as that became much broader and much more mainstream and much more known and much more of a known quantity, I got a little restless and started thinking about, well, I've always been interested in social issues. I mean, I'm interested in how the rest of the world lives. And the truth is, a lot of the products that Silicon Valley was making, it felt very um, 
short-sighted and it felt very much the preoccupation of a very small handful of people. And I took a step back from it and started thinking about what else I was interested in. And, you know, the natural answer was kind of culture, which is really broad because everything is culture. But I thought about, you know, what I liked most about covering technology was kind of giving a window into the things that unify people and the, the, the behaviors that we all share that come uh, as a surprise or unexpected um, and what they say about human nature. And so the reason we love to Snapchat is because it's a really intimate, personal way to connect with per- one person more on one. Um, and it's an alternative to the kind of polished uh, personas we all feel we have to present on, on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. And so when I took that kind of curiosity and started looking at my own life, I realized, you know, I was surrounded by a bunch of men and women and filmmakers and artists and musicians who were, you know, using all these tools, but using them in very different ways. And so, you know, for example, looking at Travel Noir, which is an Instagram account that showcases young um, black people who travel the world. And I thought, of course, I know that black people travel all over the world. All of my friends just called traveled and lived abroad, but I don't know that that's something that is common knowledge to everyone. And so that to me felt like something worth exploring, like how internet, the internet can kind of change and challenge what we think about each other and stereotypes that we have. And so it's work like that, that kind of appeals to me. And, you know, I just felt like the same way that I started looking at technology, because I noticed the abundance of mobile phones in London, you know, I'm starting to look at the abundance of, even now I'm, I'm listening to the new Kendrick Lamar album and I'm just, you know, it's, it's what's relevant. It's what's interesting. And what does this say about the world we live in and what people are trying to do to affect it. And so it's sim- it's very similar. My approach is the same to both, but, and both feel equally familiar, but I do feel like right now there aren't enough writers and journalists kind of focusing on the black experience in the U.S. I mean, that mainstream media publications, surely there are plenty of people looking at it, but I mean, the big, the big publications and thinking, well, how can we do something creative and interactive around Janelle Monet and her, her Wonderland collected the same way people get really excited about Bjork. I mean, I, I just feel like it's not because there's not interest. It's because there aren't people, you know, placed enough who are looking at it. And so that's kind of what I'm focusing on right now. Um, and then beyond that, just again, picking up the things that I'm interested in and, and writing about. I'm also really obsessed with right now being a very uh, conscientious internet consumer. And just like I try to buy, you know, buy organic uh, food and try to recycle and, you know, save water and save electricity. I'm trying to be really mindful about the, um, the services that I use and how they impact the economy. So everything from Uber to um, next day delivery services or same day delivery services and, and understanding how they're affecting the different economic uh, social structures of our, of our society and who benefits and who doesn't. So all these things are really interesting to me. I guess I'm just getting a little bit closer to what's really interesting to me right now. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. You raise an interesting point about, you know, how the media talks about or writes about uh, black culture and, and the black experience. And I'd be interested to know, because usually over the decades, it sort of goes in waves and how the media explores black creativity and at the moment it seems as though there's quite a lot of it happening and you can see it online do you think that it's a phase or is it something that's sort of here to stay and different media organizations need to find a way in which to 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 deal with it and to tell those narratives i think it's do you do well i think both are you know whether we're talking about the emergence and broad appeal of black creativity or the interest from organizations in covering it i don't think either are trends i think What's happening is you have a lot more 
there's a lot more exposure to kind of how the world works. And so it's a lot harder to ignore something um, when it happens, whether it's a major news event or it's a rising artist, because if the Internet's talking about it, then everyone's paying attention. And uh, the bigger news outlets that don't recognize that look behind or out of touch. And I think there's a broader awareness around that. And one of the ways you, you know, strategize around it is you hire people who are well-positioned to cover it. And that goes for all topics, you know. And I think that that's, that's something that, and especially because the landscape of media right now is changing so fast and it's becoming so democratized and so different. And there are lots of new media organizations that didn't exist five years ago in the scale that they do now and who have plenty of people that are interested in these things. And so, you know, to appeal to new readers and to grow audiences, this is something that every organization, I mean, I'm thinking not just even like a newspaper or a magazine, but television, um, online video, I mean, music, everyone has to pay attention to what's driving and, and compelling trends. And, and, you know, I mean, like, I'm going to say, I'm trying to think globally, not just, I'm so used to speaking mostly about the U.S., but I mean, you know, the black users oversubscribe on many of the social media services that we all use. So that's hard to ignore. And I, I don't think that goes away. And then there's always been a lot of black creativity. I don't, I don't think that's something that's a phase or, or a trend. It's just a matter of whether or not it is recognized in a bigger way. And frankly, if that matters, because at this, at this point, you don't necessarily have to release a film in Hollywood to be a notable director. You can do direct-to-video. You can use a service like YouTube or VHX or Vimeo. I mean, there are lots of alternatives. And so I think that's also, that newfound competition is also causing the more traditional media, you know, legacy media uh, outlets, even if it's Hollywood, to pay attention and say, well, we can't lose people to... A startup. We have to pay attention to what people want and how they're going to be consuming it. Hmm. I want to go back to um, something you brought up about your personality and the different things that interest you. And and one of the things that I personally like about your personality, because you are you're a journalist and I'm a journalist, and you're interested in so many things. And I tend to find I don't know about you, but I tend to find that a lot of journalists are very focused in the the beat that they do or what they cover particularly mm-hmm. on Twitter, you'll sort of see people just tweeting about their work and, you know, what they're covering. And you strike me as someone that's different in the sense that, you know, you, you talk about it, things that interest you and, and very multi-layered and, and very much of the world as it is now. How did you get to that point where you sort of said, you know what, I'm going to pursue the things that I love and I'm not going to let um, an occupation or, or, or career title define how I go about doing things? I don't even know if you thought about it that way. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, I haven't. Um, I mean, I guess because I've been on Twitter for a while, and I've been on Instagram for a while, and I have the luxury of being fairly well-established, but I have the freedom to explore lots of other interests, and I don't have to promote myself to get noticed by a place like the New York Times because I started working there so young. And so I guess there's just an element of self-awareness that comes from that, which is, you know, I am in a really good position to help promote the work of a school and that is something, I mean, I, I don't ever do it egregiously. I only, I only do it if it's something I'm genuinely interested in, but I, that doesn't escape me either. And I, I also feel like I'm not entirely sure that although I know that all these services are kind of our new resumes, at the end, this is sort of how we prove our credibility in some ways. I, I'm not entirely convinced that that's the best way to use um, Instagram, I'll say, for example. I, I think it can be really fun, and I think it should be really fun, and I have a lot of fun using it. And so I think that's sort of a little bit of a tension between me and my real life and kind of where I am in my career professionally is that I don't always know that I behave like someone who's a six-year 
better in a place like the New York Times, but I definitely, um, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. I, it's, it, I, I kind of go back and forth because I know I should be a little bit more concerned with having a brand or, or, or you know, having a notable presence. But I just, I don't know, it feels, way too, it feels like too much work and very, you know, I don't know. I'm not selling or promoting anything, so I don't know if it makes sense for me. But, but I guess that's, that's part of it is that I've just always, you know, I, I have a very strong gut. And I, sometimes people call it like an, an, a news nose when you know something's going to be good and sort of what's good and what's not good. And I think I have that in my work life. And I think I also have that in my, my social or more outwardly facing social life, because I obviously only really post the highlights on Instagram. It's not like, you know, I was at South by Southwest and I wasn't posting, you know, getting stuck outside in the rain or being up all night working or, you know, I wasn't posting this unfun stuff. I only post the stuff that looks interesting because what's the point of the internet if it just makes you feel bad. So I don't know. I'm just very keenly aware of how much we toe the line between, you know, how seriously we take what we do online and when it's time to kind of pull back or when it's time to lighten things up or when it's time to be a little more serious. So how do you get the time to do all the interesting things that you do in your life? Um, that's a really good question. I, I don't know. I think I, I prioritize certain things. Now that I'm, I'm getting a little bit older, I'm slowing down a little bit socially. And so I tend to prioritize one-on-one hangs. Actually, I have a friend in the other room who's just hanging out working. We'll make dinner later. And that, to me, is that's the kind of quality time I crave. And I, I do think it's easy to get caught up, especially in a city like New York and running all around the city and doing lots of different things. But, you know, for I'll try to, I'll make time to see friends, but I'll also try to make it interesting. So I'll invite them to have tea or go see art, or maybe we'll, you know, have a D'Angelo listening party or something. Um, and so that's it. And I, and I do kind of go with the flow a lot. If I'm feeling like I need to have a night off, I take a night off and I try to prioritize um, spending life in uh, now and over going out. And I think that's, and I exercise a lot. I, I think that's important. I think that's kind of, that helps me maintain my sanity and also my focus. You know, I feel like I've gained a little bit of influence as a reporter and a journalist. And I want to use it for good. I want to work on big, meaningful stories and not just covering the latest internet craze, even though I do that too, because I love that part of my job. But I also want to make sure that I'm balancing the fun with the serious and sort of the light with the um, important. So. so do you have like a routine? I do, but it's not rigid. And so it involves a combination of um, a fair amount of sleep. Um, actually, you know, I do a lot of yoga, um, Pilates, kickboxing, things like that um, a few times a week try to cook dinner most nights. Um, I always cook dinner on Sundays and Mondays and try to stay in and if I can, unless I absolutely have to go see a friend. And um, I have a little bit of a spiritual practice, but it's not really rooted in anything. It's just more rooted in, um, you know, I guess self-care and trying to set aside time to just, if I want to go to an old bookstore, I love books and I love printed material, then I'll just do that. And that's a very peaceful thing for me to go do and, and, or if I want to go look at a crystal shop, I go to a crystal shop for two hours and just like roam around, it's like very calming and very centering. It's like I, I try to prioritize things that, you know, can help replenish some of the things that get depleted when you work in a really fast paced industry. You you touched on um, the spiritual practice and earlier you talked about connecting um, spiritually and, and mentally. And I wanted to know how, if any part, does spirituality play in your life? I mean, it wouldn't be anything organized. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I, I don't know how to say it. I mean, I'm fairly agnostic, so I, I wasn't raised, you know, in a church. My family's not Christian or anything, but I definitely have 
you know, I do try to trust the order of things in my life and trust the timing of, of what's happening in my life and try to be very, very, very insightful and self-aware and pay attention when I'm feeling, you know, a certain type of way and attune it to either what I'm eating or if I'm not sleeping enough, if I'm drinking too much, or if I've been surrounded by, you know, in stressful situations because I have lots of stuff going on in my family or with certain friends. It's like I, I try to be really mindful of how what I'm absorbing and what I'm putting back into the world. Um, and that comes from lots of yoga and meditation um, and trying to really be mindful of how I'm carrying myself to the world and what, what I put out and also what I take in. And so that's something I spend a lot of time thinking about. And I'm very, very lucky to have an amazing collective of, you know, black vegan hippie friends who are super, super tapped into that as well. And so it, a lot of what they do rubs off on me. And so we all try to eat very well and we spend time listening to music and not, drinking or, you know, we'll just, we have a lot of quality together time and um, reading and talking about what we've read and listening to music together. And I think that's really, you know, that kind of, that kind of time is really valuable. I think it's also important too. Like I don't, I do have a lot of friends who work in media and who are writers, but I also have a lot of friends who work in clothing, who are designers, who are, um, you know, really into food or, you know, whatever. I try to cultivate different interests because a, I get tons of story ideas that way, and B, it's just interesting. It's just actually fascinating, and I think it's important to be aware of the world we all live in and not sequester into a bubble, which I think is a challenge that a lot of journalists um, can face, especially as you get older and you your world gets smaller. Um, so I try to be, pay attention to that. Yeah. So what would you say to, you know, a young woman that perhaps is listening to this and is going, oh, well, it sounds great, uh, Jenna, you live in New York, you know, you've got this amazing career, you've got access to all these different networks that allow you to explore those sorts of things in your life. Um, what can I do in my life, you know, if I don't have that? Ooh, um, I would say that it's harder than it looks and that I spent I mean, at this point, I've been working for over 10 years trying to become a writer. I still feel like I'm trying to become a writer. I'm, I'm trying to become a different kind of writer right now, which is understanding a longer-form narrative and, you know, telling a different kind of story than a breaking news story. So I'm still working at it. Um, I think the Internet can be incredibly replenishing in a lot of ways, even though it feels really stressful sometimes and there's a lot of feeling of, oh, I want this, I want to look this way, or, oh, look, you know, I wish I did this, and, you know, I think it's, but I think it's also possible to under, you know, to use social media and the internet, especially services like Vine and Instagram and Tumblr as portals into other people's lives and seeing what they do and how they do it. And even I get inspiration from that. I'll be on Tumblr following a young um, painter or writer who's making a zine. And, you know, she's like, I just made this thing because I wanted to have something that I made. And I'm like, yes, I should do that too, you know, and I have done it and I will do it again. And I think that going after small attainable things and letting it build into the bigger thing is the best way to do it. And also don't be afraid to hustle. I feel like I talked to a lot of young writers who are really shocked when I described kind of how I built momentum in my career, which was working like a crazy person. You know, I, my relationship at the time fell apart. I lost a lot of close relationships with friends, although I've worked to gain most of them back because I just, I wanted to be, a certain type of reporter and I wanted a certain type of reputation. I would say the reputation thing was the most important to me. I wanted to be reliable. I wanted people to, if they saw my byline, that they knew it would be a good story. And I wanted people when they opened the New York Times to click on my stories or go right away to my stories and, and then be surprised to find out it was me. So that was, I mean, I challenged myself really hard um, to get scoops, get exclusive interviews and, you know, basically 
company owned my butt for a long time because I, that was what I wanted. And I was willing to drop most other things um, off so, in order to make it happen. So I would say that having this kind of blissed out experience where I do feel very like confident and, and like I've attained some measure of success and, and very happy with where I am in my life is relatively new. It's only within the last 15 to 18 months, I think. Um, one other thing I was actually um, hoping to chat to you about was I, I noticed that you've got this uh, theme where you explore um, sexuality, you know, in all forms. And I, and I think you're doing um, a series that's looking into um, sexting and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wanted to know, you know, what led to that? Why was that something that fascinated you? Um, well, I, I think that project came around after... Jennifer Lawrence photos and other celebrity images of women were leaked and there was a lot of shaming well I shouldn't say leaked they were stolen they were hacked you know and then put on the internet for free for anyone to look at and it was you know it was a very shocking moment um, for me because the primarily the primary reaction of as people I respect on the internet was sort of well don't take nude photos of yourself and and a lot I looked at the photos and a lot of the photos were women in dressing rooms or women in, you know, their bathing suits or in their underwear. And I thought, who can you buy this device? You spend between one and $600 on it. You pay 50 to hundred dollars every month for your data plan with plus who knows what else cloud services you have to pay for. We, we, that's, that's a premium product. And to say that you can't use it for things, you know, for things we all do. I, I thought that was really, really um, abhorrent and really appalling. And I found that, you know, there is kind of a, there's a definitely a gender imbalance in terms of people that hacked those and found those photos. I mean, there's a reason they weren't, you know, showing pictures of Channing Tatum or whatever, I don't know, whatever male celebrities, because those were dudes. They, they were challenging each other to get these photos and they did. And, you know, that it, it ignores the infrastructure around, um, how women are treated online and how women are disregarded online and how the ways in which women are vulnerable online. And then when things, bad things happen to them, they're blamed. There's victim blaming that happens. And I, I found that to be really important. And so, you know, I, I tweeted everybody sex, everybody sex. And for me, sexting is even sending a dirty emoji, you know, and I mean, I think, I think there are plenty of ways to flirt and have fun and send sexy messages online and it's been happening since the birth of the internet, you know? Um, and I found that, you know, I talked to lots of people, who described stories of sexting and kind of what those encounters were like. And when I tweeted it out, uh, somebody from Medium reached out to me and asked me if I would make that, make this a project for them. And I, I ran by my editor who wasn't, you know, not something to be able to do at the time. So we went forward with it and I, I felt really proud of that project. And I hope it lives on because I, I did what I found to be so compelling is that it wasn't, you know, people weren't, taking photos of themselves because they wanted to see how good it looked or whatever. It was part of a larger conversation that they were having with a partner, you know, a larger dialogue around, I miss you or thinking of you or remember this moment, you know, and I, I found that to be really touching. And that was something that I wanted to, that was a myth or a kind of a stereotype around how we use devices and what we take sexy photos of ourselves for. I wanted to challenge that notion and I wanted to push back against it. And I wanted to show that it's not just women. I mean, you know, I talked to a lot of men too and, and, you know, across different sexual orientations too. And, and I felt like, I don't know, I just, I wanted to show that lots of people use their phones. This is a recurring theme for me, but people use their devices in all different kinds of ways. And it's, you know, it doesn't, it's not good or bad. It just is life. And so that was something that felt really important for me to explore. And I, I had so much fun doing it and people were so generous 
with their nudes. I was getting them constantly to my phone, and it was hilarious. It was people I knew, people I didn't know. <laughs> it was just wonderful. It was so fun, and I'm not I'm not a big sexter myself, but I love. I'm but by no means am I a prude, and so for me, it was like incredibly delightful to just every time I checked my email I had a nude photo so it was wonderful (laughs) it was awesome you're someone that's very public in what you share online but you're still quite private which I think you Mm -hmm. show quite well I wanted to get one your insights on being at the in the phase of your life where you are right now living in a big city um, having this um, amazing career how do you juggle relationships like you know of the of the intimate kind that's a good question I mean yeah I do keep a lot of my personal life private and I am very conscious of what I'm putting out into the world and, and that I have no control over it once it's out even if I feel like oh this is just a funny thing I Instagram, you know, I don't use Twitter after dark, you know, I don't use Twitter after I've had wine, I don't, <laughs> you know, if I'm at the club, I'm at the club, the phone's in the bag, you know, or phone's in my back pocket, I'm not, I'm not someone, I have, I have really pretty strident boundaries, which I think makes me kind of a dinosaur, I don't think most people do that anymore, but I, I have pretty strict boundaries for myself about how I use social media and what I'll, what I'll talk about, um, but I, yeah, I mean, I've become more comfortable with posting pictures of my partner and, and writing about him and, and talking about him, I think it's, sort of the thing we always are navigating is he's extremely private and doesn't post absolutely anything about anything at all. He's not on social media at all. And so it's been really informative, I think, to have someone in my life who has that approach because it kind of gives me a second to say, well, why do I need to post this? And what does that say about me? And that said, you know, I have no judgment about other people doing it. I love seeing my friends families and their babies grow up through Instagram and watching, um, you know, my sister loves to post pictures of her girlfriend and like my niece and everyone. And so I, I don't, you know, I, I enjoy seeing everyone else's life through social media, but I also think that there is a level of thought that should go into it for me. And so I do, I am sort of very reluctant um, because I also think too, I, I don't want everyone to know the whole story and I don't want someone to let's say I decided to write a romantic story or a modern love column. I wouldn't want someone to be like, well, I, I saw that in fold. Or like, oh, I didn't know how that ends. You know, it's like, I just feel like there should be some element of mystery that keeps people, you know, and even this is why we're talking now. I mean, you know, you sort of don't know the whole story and so you want to know more. And I think that's really valuable. I think that's something that I hold dear is that I don't, you know, I don't necessarily want to meet with a friend and have them be like, well, I saw this, your whole thing, your whole weekend played out online, you know, I already saw it happen. Like, oh, <laughs> you know, and that's also fine. But I think for me, it's like, that's like a very conscious decision that I've made. Yeah. And just lastly, do you have a, a, a life philosophy or something that you live by? You know, I'm trying, you know, we have this expression in the US and maybe have it too, but, you know, we always say like, stay woke, which is like, be, you know, like stay edgy, stay on the line, stay alert, you know, be aware, um, stay hungry, keep on your hustle. You know, I never want to be complacent. I never want to feel like, uh, you know, I've made it or I never want to feel like, you know, there couldn't be something else I do. And I don't even mean professionally. I just mean in general, you know, maybe I, sh- you know, I just want to always be kind of fine tuning the outline and the contours of my life and thinking about who's in it and what it looks like and where I'm going and, you know, right now I live in New York, but maybe I should be thinking broader. Maybe I should relocate and be living um, in Paris. Maybe I should move to Alabama. I mean, I don't know. You know, I just feel like I'm constantly trying to think about what my life should look like and, you know, maybe how it could get there and trying to take advantage of all the things I've worked for and the opportunities I have in front of me because I, I have no idea how long any of this will last. So I'm just trying to be really grateful and 
smart about it while I can. <laughs> to find out more about Jenna and other episodes in the Babe and Brilliant series, simply visit wearegrio.com. That's W-E-A-R-E-G-R-I-O-T dot com. Thanks for listening.